0: In 1919, a gruesome double murder is discovered in the railroad town of Clyde in New York County, Pennsylvania. The resulting investigation will lead to a manhunt through Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, a suicide by a postal clerk, and the death of a Pennsylvania state trooper. One state police investigator would find himself under attack by backcountry Kentucky wild men. Clyde, Pennsylvania started out as a stagecoach hub on the York and Harrisburg stagecoach line. In the 1830s, a railroad was built over the same stagecoach route and it still operates through what is left of the town today. On well, May 12, 1919, Pennsylvania Railroad Track Foreman Jacob C. Lauer noticed that railroad employee Robert Hicks did not show up for work. The next day, May 13th, Lauer noticed that neither Hicks or the two men that lived with him, Gabriel Paraccia and James Critchlow, showed up for work. Hicks, Parachia, and Critchlow lived together in a railroad shack in Clyde. Shortly before noon, Lauer decided to go to the shack to see why the men were not at work. The screen door on one side of the shack was hooked from the inside. The door on the other side was secure with a padlock. Lauer looked through the windows and saw a man lying on a cot. He called his son Robert Lauer, and the two men forced their way into the shack. They were horrified to find the dead body of Paraccia covered with several coats and the unconscious form of Crichlau lying nearby in a pool of blood. Railroad detectives and District Attorney Rothschild were notified and quickly arrived on the scene. Critchlow was taken to New York Hospital but was pronounced dead the next day. Hicks, as he was known, disappeared. Various articles found in the room were identified by Lauer. One of these was a large iron bolt which was used by the killer to commit the deed. Investigators determined that the motive was robbery since trunks belonging to the victims had been broken open and the victims' pockets had been turned inside out. A telegraph operator in a tower advised that a man matching the description of hicks was last seen boarding a train to york and baltimore at approximately 5 15 a.m dr sylvia roberts performed an autopsy and determined that parachi was in good condition except for the ugly wound inflicted on the right side of his face and head dr roberts advised that the right side of the face and skull were crushed in by a blunt instrument after repeated blows and he was probably dead 12 to 14 hours when the body was found According to newspapers at the time, within three days of the discovery of the bodies, authorities became aware that Robert Hicks' real name was actually Curtis S. Siple. Seipel's description was telegraphed to all areas of the country, particularly to Cincinnati, Ohio, after it was discovered that his mother lived there. The May 16th York Dispatch indicates that local police and detectives arrested a man in Marietta matching Seipel's description. The man was working at Bill Meyer Quarries, and after bringing him to Cly, the track foreman Lauer confirmed that it was not Siple. The May 20th, 1919, Harrisburg Evening News indicates that Paraccio was buried in the Mount Cavalry Cemetery. On August 20th, 1919, an arrest warrant was issued for Curtis Seipel, but they had to find him. The October 31st, 1919 York Dispatch features an article indicating that the reward for Siple's arrest is not enough and the detective was using his own funds to follow the trail of Seiple through Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. The article indicates that the detective only stays on the trail because he considers it his duty. Detectives would then travel to Cincinnati, Ohio where they advised Siple's mother that he was wanted for the theft of some Liberty bonds. They learned that Siple was at the house briefly to collect a change of clothes and other items. They then left a wanted notice with post office authorities. Allegedly, the clerk of the office, Adolf Ziegler, stole the notice and took it to Siple's mother, and she then tipped off her son of the murder charges. Ziegler was discharged from the post office, but he then took his life by asphyxiation with illumination gas. While in Ohio, detectives learned that Seipel might be headed to a sparsely settled section of Kentucky. They then traveled to Kentucky several times, but were unable to locate him. After some time, it appeared that Seipel would not be brought to justice for these murders. District Attorney Rochow contacted Major Lynn G. Adams of the Pennsylvania State Police and explained the case to him. Adams agreed to assist, but your county would have to cover the cost beyond the salaries. The county commissioner and controller agreed that the murderer should be hunted to the end. The case was assigned to State Police Private Chauncey B. Snyder, who was assigned to the Wyoming Barracks. Snyder's investigation determined that Seiple was born in Highbridge, Kentucky. Snyder then went to Bergen, Kentucky, but found it difficult to get information from the mountain men there. He eventually discovered where Seiple's father lived and that Seiple was using the name John Lucas. Snyder then entered an old tobacco shed in a field about 300 feet from the father's house, where he discovered that would stay when he visited his father. Inside the shed, Snyder found an old brown bloody suitcase that had been taken from the shack in Clyde. Snyder learned his disciple had left on a train for Junction City, Kentucky, where he would hide in a mountainous region of Knox and Bell Counties. But on March 28, 1921, Snyder became ill and was forced to abandon the chase. He was taken to the Cincinnati Hospital where he learned that he was suffering from appendicitis. Snyder underwent surgery for the appendicitis, but he died at the hospital on April 1, 1921, 33 years old. Private Leo Grotofsky was then assigned this case and began reviewing Snyder's reports. Grotofsky began searching Kentucky and learned that Seipel, aka John Lucas, had filed a change of address on March 4, 1921. Grotofsky learned that Seiple was seen in the area of the town of Lehman, Harlan County, Kentucky, and he was allegedly working there. On well, May 6, 1921, Grotofsky traveled to Pineville, Kentucky and made contact with police officer W.R. Roberts, explaining the case to him. The next day, outfitted with overalls, jumpers, and fishing tackle, the two lawmen traveled by train to Layman. As they exited the train, they were surrounded by about 20 mountain men asking what the nature of their business was. Roberts, knowing the local lingo, asked where the best fishing holes were, and the men pointed them out. Roberts noticed a man that he had once done a favor for, so he told him he was looking for Sable for a forgery charge. The man took them where Sable and others were working, but asked to let him get out of sight. Grotowski and Roberts approached the men, and once close enough, Grotowski pinned Sleiple to the ground while Roberts covered him with his Colt 45 automatic pistol. Sleiple was handcuffed and led down the mountain when he let out a strange call, and six or seven mountain men came running from the woods carrying axes. Facing both ways and covering the men with their pistols, Grotowski and Roberts, with Sleiple in between them, made it down the hill to the train, with the mountain men following, threatening to attack. Kratsky and Roberts pulled Sipele onto the train and made it back to Bell County Jail where he was held overnight. Sipele was transported back to Harrisburg where he was booked at the State Police Department headquarters. Sipele was then committed to the York County Prison without bail. The expenses submitted to the county by the State Police was $929.81. On October 24, 1921, Seiple was found guilty of murder in the first degree and was placed back in New York County Prison. He then began making plans to escape. Two females named Mabel Krauss and Margaret Dietz were serving sentences in the jail after Seiple was found guilty. Dietz began communicating verbally and with written messages through an air shaft between their cells. After Dietz was released from prison, Seiple began communicating with Kraus through the same air shaft. Kraus would then lower the messages on a string through her windows down to Dietz outside. After a few of these letters were passed, Krauss became alarmed and informed the sheriff of the content of the messages. The sheriff and district attorney then had Krauss continue to pass the messages as detectives hid in a freight car observing Dietz receive her letters. In one of Sipel's letters, he asked Dietz to get him a cap and a number of hacksaws. In a letter he asked Dietz to mail to his mother, he requested $100. This letter was sent to his mother, but the return letter only contained $1. Dietz only returned one more time and apparently lost interest in Siple's escape. Seiple remained in New York County prison until October 28, 1922, when he was transferred to Rockview Penitentiary in Belfond, Pennsylvania. But just prior to being transferred to Rockview, Siple made a confession, stating that around the time of the murders, he was not feeling well, and he didn't go to work for two days. He stated that he walked around the country in the area of Cly instead. On the first day he was off, something prompted him or told him to kill the two men, get their money and leave. He was homesick. He dismissed the thought from his mind on that day. On the following day, the same prompting or the same something came to him again and told him to kill the men, get their money and leave. He fought the thing off, but after supper, the same prompting came again. He stated that he then had the thought, I am going to bed now, and if the devil wakes me up before 12 o'clock, I am going to do the job. When he woke up as near as you can tell, it was about 15 minutes of 12. He procured the iron bar, which had been used in the shack to prop up a window. He took this bar and hit Krischlau first and then hit the other man. In a letter dated October 23rd, 1922, Seipel's father wrote, Dear boy, I received your letter of the 19th and was glad to hear from you, but awfully sorry to hear such sorrowful news. I can hardly think of it it hurts me so bad. I wish I could say something that would help you in your hour of trouble, but words seem so empty and futile. I am awfully glad that you are ready to meet God and know that your sins are forgiven. What a glorious thing. My father and mother and sisters and your brother Dewey will be there to meet you. And about myself, with God's will and mercy, I am going to undo the tangle of my life and get straight with God and man. And when I am done with this weary world to meet you there. I haven't told the boys yet. Seems like I can't, but I will. They're at school today and it's raining here too. Dad to Curtis, bye bye. On October 30th, 1922, at 7.17 a.m., Seiple was electrocuted at the Rockview State Penitentiary. Eight minutes later, he was pronounced dead. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to see video versions of this podcast, check out my YouTube channel, Running Into History, and stay tuned for more stories of our forgotten past.